Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. This is a sample of our recent bonus episode. Every couple of weeks or so, our crew of researchers, Amanda and myself, get together for a roundtable discussion. So here's a few minutes for free so you can see what all the fuss is about. I've also been wondering if eugenics attracts sociopaths or if eugenics turns people into sociopaths. <laughs> and I think I'm leaning towards the latter. I think that eugenics turns people into sociopaths because a lot of people with a lot of good ideas uh, turned to eugenics and thought like, this is a pretty good idea based on the information they had at the time. Uh, the, the most recent devastating example was W.B. Dubois turned to eugenics. Oh, yeah, I, I, I thought you were going to say John Muir. And <laughs> no, I mean, one. yeah, John Muir. It's another devastating example, but we we knew that years ago. But yeah, Dubois, I just learned today. I was like, oh, like that's terrible, but also not that surprising because so many people were into it. But uh, anyway, uh, about sociopathy related to eugenics, so many of the ideas related to eugenics have like no basis in ethics outside of eugenics. Like they go against all sense of human nature, all sense of compassion and decency. And, and you know, they turn humans into data points on a spreadsheet and nothing more than that, which is a really strange thing to be able to get people to sign on to. But I was reading about eugenics recently because Amanda and I are trying to be more social and I want to have things to talk about at dinner parties that'll ingratiate <laughs> me to people. One of the purposes of eugenics was to make humans better and decrease crime because crime is genetic, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, it's a foundation built on sand. It makes no sense, but they thought it was true. And so they thought, okay, if someone commits a crime, one person suggested, why don't we kill their grandfather? And the logical framework of eugenics is if your progeny commits crimes, then you will be extremely careful Ugh. about who you procreate with so that you don't end up having to pay the price for the crimes committed <laughs> by your children or grandchildren. So like within eugenics, that makes sense. You're trying to you know, nudge people in, in what eugenicists would see as an ethical direction to improve the human race. But of course, I mean, you hear that and you think like, well, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard of in my life. But like, that's, that's a good example of what eugenics does. And so similarly with long-termism, there was a lot of talk about, okay, so there are, you know, there's like 2 billion people in terrible crushing poverty in the world, should we try to help them by giving them money? Or should we improve humanity as a whole by actually taking more money away from the impoverished, giving it to the wealthy so that the wealthy can do great things with it for the sake of humanity in the future? And again, that only makes sense in a eugenic framework. And I, I, you know, it's like, 
I don't know what it is. Like it's sort of intoxicating. It's like you get in a whole new framework and I'm sure the zeal of the converted kicks in and you know, you think you've learned some like new special information and you're like willing to follow it to whatever logical conclusion it comes to. Uh, and, and you just don't realize how quickly you lose your way and, and like s- sign away your humanity. Oh, until it's your grandfather who's being murdered for your crime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I actually, yeah, thank you. That, that reminded me because you know, a, a lot of these bad ideas, like all the worst ideas I've ever heard of, I had most of them when I was 10 years old. And so I've always thought like, why didn't conservatives grow out of any of these? Like, Were you a eugenicist at 10 years old? Well, I was probably about 10 years old when my older brother told me about AIDS and like what it was and how it worked and how it was, you know, spread and that it was bad. And my answer was like, okay, so why don't we just like quarantine them? Like, why don't we just put them all on an island and not let them leave? And, you know, yeah. like maybe I'd heard of uh, leper colonies or something like that at that point. And my brother said, well, but like, what if I had AIDS? I was like, oh, shit. Well, that plan doesn't work anymore because <laughs> now, now I'm against it. <laughs> like, that's all it took. That's all it took for me to decide that we shouldn't quarantine mm-hmm. all people with illnesses. <laughs> like... It, it's not actually that complicated, but I don't know, people, people get in their mental traps. Speaking of those who mm. often start out with like sort of the right concerns and criticisms about society, but then end up wildly wrong in their conclusions. Dion, you want to talk to us about the manosphere? Yeah. So this is, uh, I, I think people are starting to hear more about it, but it's a, a little bubbling phenomenon that's been going on, especially in like the YouTube spaces and, and TikTok. But just groups of guys telling young boys and young men how to be how to be men in what would definitely be described as the most toxic way possible, like <laughs> just old school rigid gender roles the man is the provider the woman is the follower at best the woman is a follower mm-hmm. she, that at at worst she's just a vessel for your seed which <laughs> is is not too far off from directly what people have said in these in these mm-hmm. areas mm-hmm. and it's just like this this constant churn like I, do you guys remember gamergate no oh, yeah. where yeah like just the, the audacity of a few females to say that maybe that we play video games too, or we could create video games that don't have characters that are just, I don't know, stick figures, stick figures with boobs. Like, (laughs) like, but that, that it never went away and it's, it's morphed into something new. And I think it's directly related to this, as Joe Biden would call it, semi-fascism that we've got, going on in America right now. There's just a whole feeder system designed to make young men think fascist thoughts. And like we, we always, you know, people always talk about like, you know, the people that are the young, we got to wait until the older generation dies off and then the, the newer ideas will take over. But that's, that's not the way anything works. Like old, terrible ideas 
can be spread just as easily as new, better ideas. And the old, terrible ideas in this universe of talkers, screamers into YouTube, they they have a, a giant following. Yeah. I did just see recently a sort of a research project on the radicalization of teenage white boys it comes from Canada and it, it would take us in a totally long, deep direction. So maybe we'll save that for a future episode, but I was glad to see something that was like addressing this as a phenomenon on the whole and like identifying where this kind of content is coming from and what the intentions are and trying to make people aware of it. Because I, I think, so when Dion sent all this information over to prepare for this show, I was like, Oh God, I try so hard to ignore all of this. <laughs> and that's probably what a lot of people feel. But the fact is it's now like so big, we can't ignore it. And um, maybe we should have been paying attention even sooner, but it's like, I know it exists, but I just don't really want to accept that because it ruins my day. But yeah, it's, it's dangerous and growing at a rapid, rapid pace. It's so big, like, I wish I had saved this, but there's a TikTok of a teacher, fifth or sixth grade teacher, talking about how in her class, one of her boys, an 11-year-old, said to a girl, you're fat, you're a woman, so you don't have to work. I have to work hard for my money. And she said, again, 11. Like, this this is being spread to younger and younger boys. And, you know, they don't have any, anything any antibodies ideas to yeah antibodies that's the perfect <laughs> way to describe it like mm-hmm. they they're just <laughs> they're ripe for this virus that's a, that's a good way to describe uh-huh. it uh-huh. Yeah. but is this new no because <laughs> i mean no. I, I would argue that like obviously it's been passed down from generation to generation that we've always had like some kind of population that was susceptible to this. And, you know, maybe it looked like talk radio before, and now it looks like podcast YouTube. Um, and maybe it's a little more effective because everyone does live in a digital space that even if your parents' beliefs aren't the same, like you could still be exposed to it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think it's more that people outside that realm are paying attention to it because it is like, you have to think when someone goes on TikTok and puts out a horrible content video, yes, it's making, you know, teens susceptible, but then you have all the people who react to it. So in reaction, either agreeing with whatever is being said, adding to it, and then circulating that content, and or then doing reaction videos, which lead people back to the original content. So like, no matter what, it's being spread like on a wider surface level. I hear what you're saying. It's certainly not new, but we are living in like, the perfect environment to fan the flames of terrible things. And so it was always there. And she's when I was in middle school, boys were saying stupid shit to me, you know, along these lines, but like they weren't, they didn't have a community to turn to, to like reinforce all of this and like make it part of their identity. <laughs> and that that's actually what concerns me. Cause it's so easy. Like, you know, look, it's, two sides of the same coin, right? Community is great and community can be wonderful. And then it can also be a community for something like this, which is vile and abhorrent and just like entrenches these things even deeper so that if they do 
get pushback, which in a normal course of life without digital algorithm onslaught, you might actually like change your mind or, you know, have a way to pop out of it. But now it's harder to do that because people are so entrenched and so interested in identifying with a community and an idea of thought. And it's really easy to do that now. Whereas like, yes, it existed before, but it it is much, much easier now. Jay, is it time for my, my passage from my book that'll blow everyone's minds? Always. (laughs) Okay. So just, just a tiny bit of context. I'm reading a book called In Defense of Witches, Why Women Are Still on Trial. And I haven't made it very far into this book because it's the kind of book where every page has something so amazing, mind-blowing, puts things in context so well that I have to like take a minute. <laughs> so I'm slowly, slowly making my way through this book. And um, in this section, she's talking about how we got to witch trials, basically, and mostly framing it from the European witch trials in the 1500s. And uh, there's a lot of talk about the way that the church built up to this view of women being, you know, mysterious creatures in a bad way and, you know, hiding something and being, you know, evil under the surface. And I did find it very interesting. They often compare um, women to Jews um, to say that they're, uh, they say <laughs> they hide a proud and wayward temperament in in which way they resemble the Jews was one of the old school Spanish Franciscan monks uh, take on it. And so it talks about a period of time leading up to the witch trial or, you know, kind of a, a p- spike in witch trials in which there was this effort from the churches to disseminate the view that women were to be, you know, uh, questioned, be concerned about, kind of uh, keep them in check. (laughs) And this just blew my mind. I, I wonder if others will agree. So in 1593, a German pastor who was somewhat more peaceable than most, than most, became alarmed about the little leaflets that peddle in all religions insults against women the reading of which serves as a pastime for the idle. He felt that by dint of hearing and reading these things, our menfolk have become exasperated with women. And when they learn that one of them had been condemned to perish on the pyre, they cry, a good thing too. And basically, the leaflets are YouTube <laughs> and TikTok. <laughs> and the idol are the men who are um, not examining themselves and falling into the traps of these ridiculous messages. The printing press was the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hope we don't end up with witch burnings because I really just can't handle that right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what's the modern day equivalent? Like um, women who have been imprisoned for, you know, going through an abortion when they were having a miscarriage or, you know what I mean? Like we could... (laughs) <laughs> and, and a good thing too, Erin. And a good thing too. Yeah. Celebrating the fact that women are punished for having sexual freedom. Totally. Yeah. So we are already entering that. <laughs> and like Aaron brought up earlier, we never really left it. We just go through like little waves of progress and then regress 
progress, regress. Like, luckily there aren't witch burnings at the moment. Like, <laughs> like that's that's a that's a positive development, right? We're we're not actually burning women at the stake. Well, we're just once again, Dion, how did you get so <laughs> optimistic? <laughs> you know. I don't think that one was that optimistic. <laughs> like, I really do think Dion and I have traded places. Because while he's like, we're not doing that. I'm living my life like it could start at any moment. <laughs> hey, me too. Okay. Well, see, Dion's yeah. been hearing a lot of Southerners renounce racism. And that's yeah. making him feel really optimistic about the direction. It, and that really does, though, by the way. <laughs> Just hear, hearing the most stereotypical Southern accent say, racism's bad, here's why. Like, I love it. I think we actually had this conversation off air. So I'm just going to put in context around it that Dion said his algorithm on TikTok is serving oh. <laughs> him white people with Southern accents renouncing racism. And so yeah. he's, it's a very particular niche diving in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a TikTok for everything. Yeah. As someone who lives in the South, Dion, I, I hate to bring this to you. No. <laughs> Don't burst no, in bubble, Aaron. Right? Sticking with the few that were on TikTok. They must be representative of the whole. <laughs> That's it for today's free sample. Right, Paying members are who make this entire show possible, and so these bonus episodes are really just a fun way to say thanks to them for their support. In addition to these full bonus episodes, members also get bonus clips in every single regular episode, as well as perks in our Discord community. The Discord community is free for anyone to join, but there's a members-only area where recommendations of all kinds are shared, both from listeners and producers of the show. So if you'd like to be our newest member, you can sign up at bestofleft.com support directly from our Patreon page or from right inside the Apple Podcasts app. And if you can't afford a membership, I offer free financial hardship memberships. Just drop me an email to j at bestofleft.com and we will get you all set up no questions asked. Or again, to sign up, visit bestoftheleft.com slash support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.